welcome to the first Access Answers monthly podcast. I'm Julia, and I'll be your host along with Angela. We're the creative team here at Access Sciences, and this month we'll be sitting down with our Director of Technology, Ray Newhall, to answer your most asked questions about Microsoft Teams. Ray Newhall is a dear friend and a colleague, and she has 20-plus years of industry experience bringing together business and technology leaders to define information management strategies and solutions that enable people to get their real jobs done. Hi, good morning, Angela and Julia, and thank you so much for having me today. I am excited about this podcast and a chance to talk more about Teams, which is one of my favorite topics. So, Renu, it feels like forever ago, Uh, Back in February, before the pandemic, before we had even heard of the coronavirus, you did a presentation for the Arma Austin group about Microsoft Teams, and we did a survey of the attendees, a little over 100 people, to find out where they were on their Teams journey. So we had a group that had not yet started using Teams. Some were in the planning stage in the implementation stage, in the scaling stage, and scaling as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, is the enterprise use of teams with necessary governance in place. Back when we did the survey in February, 65% of the audience had not yet started their team's journey. A week ago in July, you did a webinar Again, over 100 participants. We did the same survey, but this time we introduced a new stage to the journey called Sprawl. This is the enterprise use of Teams with little to no governance. So comparatively, in July, we had gone from 65% that had not started to 6% not started and 35% in the Sprawl stage. Can you tell us a little bit more about this journey and what you're seeing with our clients and around the world? Sure, Angela. Yes. Um, So, yeah, those results were really, I guess, eye opening, not entirely unexpected given the pandemic. And we'll talk about some of those impacts here. But I guess we should first define uh, how scale and sprawl differ with regards to governance, which calls for a definition. So, the way we define governance when it comes to technology implementations is um, the appropriate use of process and technical controls and a, um, a strategic approach to change management to ensure that the technology and tools that are deployed in an organization uh, continue to evolve to meet the business need. Because obviously, we don't just deploy technology for the sake of having tools and technology. We deploy technology to meet ultimately a business goal. And it's governance that helps us achieve that goal. So when you look at the scale versus sprawl, you know, scale means you have enterprise adoption of teams, but everyone is working in concert to achieve those business goals. The tools are being used as designed. When we talk about sprawl, you've achieved enterprise adoption. You could probably say, yes, I've turned off Skype for business, for example, that's one measure. But ultimately, Everyone is using the system in different ways, which may conflict with the overarching business goals. And ultimately, uh, we hear this from many organizations. It uh, results in that state of confusion for end users when you're in a state of sprawl. 
or uh, when it comes to those who are responsible for managing information as an asset for the organization, there's this sense of a loss of control and a loss of uh, the strategy around how to manage that information asset. So that's when you get to that waking up in the morning with a bad feeling that, wait, what have we done with this team's implementation? And uh, we might need to dial back where we are. So again, when we look back in February, um, the vast majority of the audience had not started. Uh, at the end of July, a big push with the pandemic came with the demand for the communication capabilities of teams with the whole remote uh, workforce, just in a blink of an eye, the, most organizations went to a completely remote workforce. And the only way to connect and communicate with those people was to have a really stable communication platform. And many organizations found that Skype for Business just did not scale to meet their needs. And there was a rush to move people onto the Teams platform. So I think that's where uh, we're seeing that that scale has shifted more towards uh, widespread use, whether well-governed or not. Right. And so what what about the people scaling? Do you have any comments or tips there? I know um, in our most recent survey, about 16% of our audience were in that scaling stage of their team's journey. Right. And I think, uh, you know, kudos to those folks. They should be proud. Uh, of having done things right. It's not necessarily easy uh, with Microsoft Teams. I mean, and Microsoft products in general, uh, they make it really easy to deploy, to get in the hands of uh, the masses, but it makes it uh, more of a challenge for those who are responsible for information governance and putting the right controls in place. So for 16% of our audience to say they feel they're in the right place, well, they should be proud that they followed the right strategies. Um, I, I mean, I would have said, um, you know, in order to succeed at, at doing things well and getting to a position of enterprise uh, adoption is having the right combination of both the necessity, the business drivers, as well as just practical availability of the right resources. Um, and if anyone is listening to this podcast and feels, yep, uh, you know, we are at this stage in our journey, uh, I would be really interested to hear um, your uh, take on how long it took, uh, you know, what process you followed and what you would consider to have been your critical success factors. Um, and we, we'd be uh, interested in that. But uh, my guess is that, you know, the foundations might have already been in place because obviously Teams uh, is not the inventor of collaboration. Organizations were working in Teams long before Microsoft Teams. So if you already had some of that information governance foundation in place, you might have started earlier. Again, you had you probably had the right combination of the right uh, skilled project resources. Those I'm thinking are probably um, some of the reasons that you have been successful at reaching that scaling. Renu, we received quite a bit of feedback after the webinar last week of teams trying to plan and implement internally without the help of any third-party resources. What advice do you give to those teams that might be listening today? Sure. Um, yeah, a lot of organizations have been successful implementing internally. Um, I would say just ensure, first of all, that um, you have executive sponsorship for whatever project. I mean, this is an internal project. Oftentimes, these go under the radar uh, without the right level of visibility. And it, no matter how you choose to implement this, this is a change that's going to impact the entire organization. So executive sponsorship is critical to driving the change and also for establishing accountability for governance. 
because uh, this is often a shared responsibility between IT, uh, your records and information governance groups, and then finally the business, the end users. So this will take some conversations with the business, building awareness uh, and um, building that support for the organizational change, even if it's coming from internal within the organization. The other thing is uh, I would uh, obviously um, say, do not start on this journey unless you have assembled a team of skilled resources um, with uh, both uh, you know, technical expertise on the Microsoft Teams platform, as well as information governance, records management expertise, and then ultimately uh, also change management. Because as we mentioned earlier, uh, this is the side that's often left unattended in Teams implementations and can lead to the end result where there's that stage of confusion and you hear people lamenting and wishing for the days when they had Skype again, heaven forbid. So this is where you really have an opportunity. Uh, don't miss out on the uh, change management aspect of this. And then you should be successful if you have all of those bases covered. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because our next webinar in August in just a few weeks will be hosted by our executive sponsors, Linda Baldwin, the VP of Professional Services, and Sandra Ludwig, our VP of Corporate Services, um, giving their perspective on change management. So thank you for that. And tell us exactly what's happening with Skype since you mentioned that. Yes. Uh, so Skype, as many users of all those implementing teams will know, um, has an end-of-life declaration. It will be disappearing on July 31st. That's a year from now, uh, 2021. So, um, yeah, the, the platform itself will has been replaced by Teams from a Microsoft perspective and just from uh, an understanding of what the platform offers. It is a, a much improved replacement for Skype. So there's no reason why organizations shouldn't move off of Skype and onto Teams. Uh, you know, it's built from the ground up to scale. It's a, a cloud-based infrastructure, and um, much uh, you'll obviously much, see much better quality in audio, video, and then what we call the um, modern meeting experience. So, just a whole lot of great capabilities on Teams. No reason to hold on to Skype. Right. So, Renu, what's your advice on what people should do they need to move fast so i know due to covid and due to skype going away soon a lot of organizations are actually pressured to get teams out quicker than they expected so what's your advice on rolling that out quickly sure. um and i think the biggest driver for you know these accelerated adoptions of teams is really the communication side of it right uh, Teams has both communication capabilities, typically what we would do within a Skype environment, and then it has the collaboration aspects. Typically, these have been facilitated through either SharePoint or you know, Outlook or <laughs> file shares or whatnot. So I, I would say separate out those two aspects of a, type, uh, a Teams deployment and focus on what's the most important. Uh, so you could do a phase deployment, the first one being um, only deploy the features that you are replacing with the Skype for Business um, platform uh, you, when you move to from a Skype mode or a um, what they call an islands mode, which is the default when you have both Skype and Teams running in parallel. Uh, switch your organization from that to just Teams only. Um, again, we talked about all the benefits of just Teams being used instead of uh, Skype. And this also has the advantage that when both 
applications are running in parallel, that also leads to a state of confusion because now you've got notifications coming from Teams, coming from Skype, half your users are in Teams, half the messages aren't getting through. And it just, uh, you need to move off of that um, islands mode. And Microsoft also recommends that this is not a phase that you plan to stay in for a long duration. So that used to be a quick escalation uh, to move to Teams. So I would say that's phase one. But the only way to separate out these two phases without the unintended sprawl is to ensure you have control on Teams creation. So right now, the default is that any user in the organization with a click of a button can create a team, and many do, as Angela knows. <laughs> we have we've had our own share of uh, rogue teams. What? Not me. <laughs> so yes, uh, no matter the size of the organization, you will be surprised at how quickly these teams can spring up because people are collaborative by nature, and this is you know it facilitates collaboration. But the number one control that you need to put in place is disabling. Uh, end user creation of teams. And that can only be done through a um, PowerShell script, uh, which actually disables the group creation, which is the underlying construct that Teams is built on. So uh, once you have that control in place that makes uh, ensures that only admin users can create teams, now you have the right control in place that you're enabling communication you know, you, you can put in place the training around how to make calls, have meetings, uh, but then guide users possibly to use the existing collaboration spaces while you work through your strategy for phase two, which is uh, determining how teams will play a part with your existing content management tools, be it SharePoint or others. So that's a good way to separate those two out. So Renu, you just outed me. I... <laughs> I will admit I was one of the people that many of our clients complain about. I went rogue and created my own team very successfully, I thought. But I know when you have a large enterprise organization, or especially if you work in a regulated industry, that creates many problems. And I saw on your demo last week in the webinar, you had a fancy bot to procure a team. Tell us about that and what that takes to implement. Sure. So yeah, the having um, a control in place basically means now you have a uh, a process, a governed process through which uh, end users can request a team, and uh, it'll go through your business approval process. It goes through a IT approval process, uh, and then you can also, uh, as part of the process, integrate controls such as naming standards for teams. Uh, then ensure the right training. A, a, a team owner has the right training before their uh, their team site is being provisioned. So um, that sort of process, the, what we demonstrated during the webinar, was basically um, a flow built using the Power Automate platform. Uh, Power Automate is part of your enterprise license for um, Office 365. So this is available to end users uh, and those who are uh, able to uh, implement some of these solutions for your enterprise deployment. So the Power Automate platform in combination with Power Apps for the just the form to collect the information runs you through the multiple stages of that approval process. And then um, uh, we're using uh, templates. So the use of templates for Microsoft Teams ensures that each type of team that you deploy will have a consistent set of um, tabs, which are the apps that people use, a set of channels. Um, and you could possibly also deploy... Uh, 
private channels as part of the deployment process. So those are the main components, Power Automate, uh, Power Apps, um, and then the templates. But if you want, if you really want good control over that process, you do actually need to call the Graph API, which gives you that really fine-grained control over the multiple steps in creating a Teams. And then you mentioned the bot. So the bot is actually implemented using uh, the Power Virtual Agent platform. And that's the one um, that um, is um, enables uh, just a, a menu that shows up within uh, end users um, interface, the Teams interface, where you can act, ask questions. It, so it doesn't uh, uses AI capabilities to process natural language questions and either provide answers or direct folks to where their support might be coming from if they wanted a human at the other end. And I, I know that was the bot was actually quite popular during the webinar. Uh, I think people, uh, you know, are in a stage of isolation. Even even a friendly bot uh, can help make it a little bit more personal um, and a little bit more accessible to end users. So I know that we're talking, you know, a lot about governance, um, and this is like a big focus. It was a big focus in your webinar. It's a big focus of this podcast. So, what I guess minimal controls would you recommend to audience members or people going through this sure. team's journey? Right. So um, the minimal controls, obviously, um, I would say before you start down, you know, creating controls, um, you know, start with a governance plan or framework. Um, and I think we will put some posts out there specifically around a seven point model that we recommend for governance framework. But basically, it sets the essentials for planning and implementation. So uh, the controls you have you determine are essential will be meeting the rules and requirements that you determine are essential to to supporting your team strategy. So um, I would say start with um, the plan, the overarching plan. You know what is the the holistic approach to teams. That from there you can determine what are the minimal controls. But in general, organizations will put in place some of the following. So the one we mentioned already, it's the controlled creation of teams. The first thing that you have to put in place is to stop that and have a centralized process owned by um, IT approved through the business. Um, you do need to have some naming standards for teams. Um, and again, if you go through a central process, you can do that could be a manual step, right? Somebody uh, determining what those names should be. Um, for each type of team, I, I would recommend using templates. Like I said, uh, if you know, here are the five types of teams that we have in our organization, determining what the template is. And then using that as part of the creation process guarantees some level of consistency and that repeated uh, pattern that people then identify with and helps them orient when they move across different teams. There are a few rules uh, that you will want to determine at the beginning, what owners can do, what members can do, and what guests can do, both, um, I mean, primarily external to the organization, right? So there are some default controls that Microsoft Teams comes with. In most cases, those are good enough. Uh, but you will want to look at those to see are those good enough for your particular risk profile as an organization. Um, so there's permissions that we talked about. There's also apps. You may want to determine what apps are allowed within the organization. If you don't yet know out the gate what apps people will use, a good first start uh, would be to say only disable apps that uh, allow people to store content in third-party repositories you know, third-party uh, cloud storage solutions, I would recommend turning those off. And then also um, 
recommend turning off any apps that create additional groups. Again, it's like a backdoor to creating new teams. So I would turn those off and then let people use the apps and see where the demand is. So that way you don't uh, create frustration and people go out, uh, you know, with their use the backdoor to go out to uh, access those apps through additional platforms or just through the browser. One more thing that you do need to think about is how long content sticks around, right? That's a big part of the concerns that owners of information assets have. It's uh, how long does data get stored and stay in Teams? So you will want to think about Exchange, OneDrive for Business, and SharePoint and put in place a, some retention policies around that content. Start with some blanket policies for Teams and say anything created in Teams, the policy is no records in here. These are collaboration only and put in place a records policy that determines whatever the, the retention policy is for that. So I think that's it at the, at the baseline, maybe the minimal set of controls. Uh, if branding is a big deal, you might want to put in place a, something around look and feel. But again, most organizations, I think this is the minimal set of controls that need to be thought about before you um, go into implementation. So before we move on, we're going to take a quick 30-second break to talk about Access Sciences, who we are, and what we do. Access Answers is owned and operated by Access Sciences. We're a consulting and business process outsourcing firm specializing in information governance, technology enablement, and business strategy. Since 1985, our dynamic team of experts have been committed to meeting each of our clients' unique information needs. Simply put, we create value out of information chaos. As a Microsoft certified partner, we work with our clients of both private and public enterprises to organize their information and meet compliance in all Microsoft 365 platforms. If you're interested in partnering with us, send an email to info at accessciences.com today. Renu, you've also led our team internally through this process before and done some training for the organization. What resources are available or what guidance do you have? We know change management is very important and we have more on that topic in the webinar, August 26th. But what can you say to listeners today about training for teams? Sure. So yeah, we did have an interesting journey with our own team's adoption. And it's funny, you always go in with a plan and then you do have to adapt when you hit the ground and realize reality is a little bit different than what you had anticipated. So my recommendation is one, like you said, with the executive sponsorship, you have to have that awareness that training is coming and people must attend. Um, otherwise, if it's optional and uh, it, there's not enough awareness about it, most people will not attend. And while it may seem like Teams is a very intuitive program, it can also be very overwhelming. There's a lot of functionality, a lot of capabilities. And unless you know where things are, again, that can lead to that confusion and frustration, <clears throat> almost uh, unnecessary. Um, so I would say, when you think about training, think about your audience, think about the groups within your organization and how they will use Teams. In other words, think of your users' scenarios and having fleshed, just like any implementation, when you think about your users' scenarios, you will uncover certain scenarios that uh, may be the um, outliers 
uh, or it could be that a good portion of your organization, for example, in our case with Access Sciences, we discovered a good portion of our organization typically logs in with a client user ID and not an Access Sciences ID. So in which case, many of them would be using Access Sciences teams as guests. And uh, there's certain um, limited functionality for guests. Uh, and so our training, if we had treated everyone as equal, uh, would have um, caused them a lot of frustration because a lot of the things that we were training on, they simply could not do because they had logged in as guests. So we would say, make sure you understand what the audience looks like and what the different user scenarios are. And then you must do hands-on training. Um, it's okay to have videos. It's okay to point them to the wonderful Microsoft resources for training. But I would say um, train groups of people together, not more than 10 at a time, and make sure that groups that work together train together um, because this is a collaboration tool. And when they train together, uh, it's funny the, the ways that they figure out how to work with the tool to meet their specific needs. So uh, make sure that they, um, they attend a session together. That way they can learn off each other and guide one another. Uh, another thing we did was make sure that leadership had its own training. Uh, you know, they call that the white glove training. Uh, make sure that leaders know what the tool will bring to their employees and therefore they can also advocate for better use of the tools and feel that they are as skilled and can lead their, you know, nothing makes a leader feel worse than not being able to lead their employees, right? So make sure that they are well trained on the tool and are comfortable with it. And then lastly, um, I would strongly urge uh, folks, oh, if you're rolling out training, to uh, raise a community of champions. So in Access Sciences, we call them the Ask Me's. Uh, and that was really just a clever acronym for uh, Access Sciences Collaboration and Meetings Experts. And um, this will, uh, if you give them a little additional training, identify one for each team. Uh, these are folks who can then answer questions that their colleagues might be facing. Just simple end user re training reinforcement types of questions so that all questions don't go to IT. Uh, there's no need for you know just an end user training related question to go to to get bottlenecked with IT help desk tickets. Uh, this is where your community of champions can really play a part, and um, raising them to have better awareness of teams and being able to support one another also sets the stage for whenever you deploy your phase two of Teams and you want to do something more sophisticated with Teams, now you have a group of people who's more engaged with you, more able to feedback what the needs of their teammates might be. And I'd say that combination is most effective with change management. And you would say ongoing training is a good thing too, I suspect, as Teams continues to evolve. And I know they're mm -hmm. making changes right now. Right, exactly. So yeah, this is not a once and done thing. I mean, literally no sooner we had created some training content and we looked at the screen, you know, four weeks later and there's some new functionality. <laughs> so there's just no keeping up with the training. But what you can do is have uh, perhaps like a monthly update uh, where you're sharing upcoming changes on the platform. I mean, this is one of the things I love about Office 365 is that there's constantly changes. Uh, they're always making improvements. One day you wish something would change and you know, three weeks later, here it is. But uh, it has its downside and that things are constantly changing also. You think you learned the tool and then you look again and you're, you're suddenly disoriented because the thing that you were expecting is no longer there and it's been replaced with something okay, better, but different, right? 
So yes, ongoing training is a, is a definitely one you want to think about when you make your initial governance plan. Who's going to support this? Because sometimes the project team does this great implementation and then everyone goes back to their regular jobs. Uh, who is left holding the bag? It'll be IT. And then you get that whole bottleneck again with people saying there's not enough support and it's confusing. I don't remember what I did in my training. So anyway, <laughs> ongoing support is vital. Agreed. What other changes do you see coming soon from Microsoft other than maybe a potential acquisition of TikTok, hopefully, fingers crossed, so we can continue using that system in the United States? Um, I know, is there something coming about being able to see more people at a time like you can with Zoom? Oh, yes. <laughs> you must have heard about this. Uh, and I don't know if you anyone's been watching the NBA games recently, but... You yeah, have noticed the Rockets that, just won. That's right. So um, you you'd have noticed that the this, the the court is surrounded by large screens where the audience can actually participate, and you'll see the avatars or the images all um, co-located within a, a simulated environment, like the uh, uh, the bleachers or what, you know of a, an audience within a game. So that's the teams together mode, and um, this allows you to see your colleagues. Uh, the, people participating in a Teams meeting side by side. So this could be simulating a classroom for teachers. It makes it a little bit more realistic. It could be, like we said, an audience at a game, courtside. Um, it could be folks sitting in a conference room, but it, it simulates the appearance of uh, folks sitting together and you can actually ping one another. There's some uh, side by side you know, interaction with your colleagues that's possible to, through Teams together. So that's one thing that's pretty exciting. I know while we were going through this change, I mean, Teams moved from a four-person view to a nine-person view. And that alone made a big difference just in the way our teams operated. So I'm really excited about teams together. Um, I think it will also, it's funny, it's the simple things, right? Um, a few months ago, I, when our CEO first said, well, we need video uh, and we need to, you know, we need to come up with a collaboration platform that has great video. Um, and, you know, we were looking at Zoom, for example, but at the time, I was, um, I did not, uh, I guess I underestimated the importance of video. And I thought, well, we work together with people I know all the time, and I don't look at their faces. I just look at the work that we do. But when we came to this uh, work from home scenario with the pandemic, I realized how much I miss looking at people's faces and looking at their expressions. And uh, that nonverbal communication is a big part of how we as humans communicate. So uh, anything that helps with the video feedback and um, seeing people together, even though we are so physically distanced now, I think those are the unintended benefits uh, or consequences of deploying teams that like, I didn't expect that I enjoy as much as I do. So, Yes, and Julia can speak to that too, being our first ever employee hired completely by video using Teams. Um, I felt it was a great experience, much better than than Skype, personally, that's my opinion. But um, the first time our organization had done a completely virtual interview and hire and onboarding. Yeah, so it was, was definitely interesting. an interesting experience, you know, because I never got to go to the office um, and meet everyone um, before I came on board. But, you know, Teams obviously made that a lot easier. You know, I could still see you face to face. We could still have great conversations. Um, so I'm definitely grateful for Teams for getting me a job. Or helping me get a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has a, a personal impact in many ways, right? Um, 
And I think, uh, Angel, you said, what are the other cool things that are coming with Teams? Um, so Teams Together is one that's seeing a lot of, uh, I guess it's, it's popular just because it impacts in, in many ways. But there's other areas that I think people will be excited about. So, you know, the, the private channels was a recent change to Teams in, in response to a need for higher security within conversations. But right now it's a little disconnected from the rest of a Teams deployment. It's a separate collection. You can't apply retention policies within private channels, but uh, I believe they're working on uh, making that a little bit more integrated. Um, so hopefully we will be able to apply the same policies that you would within other channels within Teams. Um, and then I know that Microsoft also, uh, just from watching their podcasts and webinars of things that are coming as well, and their response to what uh, demands they're seeing from their customers, um, that ability to switch between different accounts within the desktop app. Right now, it's really convenient on the mobile app if you have multiple accounts with different organizations to switch between those, but it's a bit of a chore, almost impossible on a desktop app because especially if you've got single sign-on implemented within the organization, it's a little bit more of a challenge. And they are aware that many users work with multiple organizations. I mean, we as a consulting services organization, obviously, we are often embedded within our client environments, and that's a common scenario. Um, so having that ability to switch accounts is something that they're looking into. And I know um, also um, the ability to integrate better with the different applications within Office 365 is something that Microsoft is working on. So Teams is much more closely intertwined with SharePoint, for example, which is what a lot of organizations use. Uh, this, now, in order to connect those, it's more of a, a custom deployment you know, workflow challenge. It's not as easy to do to say, okay, I already have this really nice SharePoint implementation. Teams just needs to you know, fit into it, not be as whole, introduce this whole another world. And they are working on some of that. And then I think, um, you know, we mentioned the bots. Um, there's better integration coming with um, Power Automate and uh, Power Apps in the future. Uh, this platform known as uh, Microsoft Data Flex is being introduced. Um, and then this will make it a little easier for end users to deploy those chat bots that we saw in the demo uh, and also add additional Power Automate capabilities, such as the ability to trigger flows directly from a team's message. So all of this is coming together much more, uh, I guess, in a much more seamless fashion. And I think that's going to help a lot with the other issues that people are facing with teams and the challenges that uh, information governance and compliance needs. So those are things I'm excited about. Great. Well, thank you for being our first ever guest on Access Answers today. And it was lovely seeing your face today on Teams as we recorded the podcast. And I love your Aggie hat you have on. Gig'em. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in today to our first ever Access Answers podcast with our guest, Renu Hall. We've made reference to her webinar presentation called Practical Governance for Microsoft Teams that can be found on our website at accessciences.com. You may also register on our website for the upcoming webinar on August 26th, hosted by Linda Baldwin and Sandra Ludwig. The topic will be change management from the executive perspective, navigating through a team's migration.